Welcome, we're glad to have you here. Um, still people coming in, so if you could scoot in, that would help us. Last weekend was awesome, wasn't it? We had 8,000 people between the two campuses coming here, Nick, man, what a great testimony. Um, if you didn't get a chance to hear him, um, lifewithoutlimbs.org is his website, Nick Buchek, lifewithoutlimbs.org. We're doing things a little differently today. I'm going to start with the offering. We're going to do that in just a second. So if you want to make ready for that, we're going to do that at the beginning, and then we're going to end with communion in a special way and do something cool with those little pieces of mirror that I've given you. I'll tell you about that along the way. We're going to try to do a, a special element with that. So let me just start by telling you a couple of things that are going on around here that you need to know about. I talked about membership a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we have our What We Believe class coming up November 7th. Uh, it's at 10:30, so it's like after the nine o'clock service, you can come and stay. It's downtown. It's downstairs in the conference room, right down there, and uh, that's just a membership class. But, I mean, no obligation. If you want to come and find out about church, uh, you can do that. Ushers, you can go ahead and pass the offering while we're doing this. Um, and then everything else I'm going to tell you is stuff that we're going to do for other people. If I ever hear a complaint about a large church, which I never intended for this to be a large church. People just kept coming, okay? It wasn't like we designed this, okay? Um, but if you get, hear a complaint about a large church, it's that, you know, it's all about them. I got a big building, and, you know, they're all about them. We're never about us, and we're going to prove it again this holiday season. Number one, Thanksgiving meals. We gave out 120 Thanksgiving meals last year. There'll probably be a lot more people that are going to need help this year. Uh, so you can do that out in the foyer. You can donate something. 45 bucks will do a whole Thanksgiving meal for somebody that's in need, somebody that needs it this year. Might be something you and your family want to do. Uh, number two, we take mission trips all over the world. Uh, we got mission trips to Africa and Brazil and, and all, all different kinds of Mexico, different places. And when we go, nutrition is usually a problem, okay, because they're not eating the right things. So a jar of vitamins that you can get for 10 bucks at Sam's or Costco or whatever, a jar of vitamins for a family can really make a lot of difference in their health over, over the course of a year. And uh, so we're doing a little vitamin drive if you want to just think about that when you're out shopping. Uh, the third thing is really weird. You're going to really want to make sure that you pay attention to what shoes you wear next week, okay? Because next weekend we're going to share our souls. We're going to leave our shoes here and walk out barefoot, okay? I'm just warning you. Uh, pray for good weather and wear the shoes you don't mind giving up next weekend. Uh, because you know what? People all over the world are barefoot. People in Chicago are barefoot in the weather that we're getting ready to have. And, and so we just thought, yeah, this is a cool program. We got hooked up with an organization that's going to get your shoes. And, and guys, I mean, come on. Does your wife have too many shoes? Can I, can I hear a shout out from you, gentlemen? Okay. You know, tell her to bring one of the 50 pair that she never wears. And, and, and leave them here, and, uh, and, or if you want to, you can actually bring some. Some great stories already, some people who are going to uh, bring some family member who's deceased, and they're going to they're gonna leave their shoes here, I mean, kind of as a way of, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not an organ transplant, but you know what, we can do something, okay? So well, that's what we're always about around here. We're always trying to figure out ways that we can help other people, okay? So we're in the 40 Days of Purpose. Uh, this, is, uh, this is week three. We started, uh, the first week was about worship. Our, your first purpose, and if you're just walking in, you don't know, Rick Warren's book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, is what we're using. We're doing it in our small groups, and, uh, and we're going through this program, okay? Week one is, what is your first purpose? It is, it is worship. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Obviously the number one, okay? Number two is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that's one and two. That's really easy. So fellowship was number two. So number three, then you're like, okay, what's number three going to be, okay? Number three is discipleship. The next thing past that is learning to be a disciple, learning to be like Jesus, 
making sure that we're doing the things in our life that help us to be like Jesus. Let me show you this video. So what are you going to be for Halloween? I got mine all figured out. Pretty good, huh? Uh, this is Jesus, in case you haven't figured it out yet already. Okay. I'm going to be Jesus for Halloween. I mean, I was thinking about this. I mean, it's Halloween, and a lot of the kids are over there, you know, all dressed up in their costumes and stuff. And, and, and I was thinking, stop laughing at me, Henry. I, I think that, I think that uh, if, if there was something that we're supposed to be as Christians, if there's something we should dress, and I don't know what God thinks of Halloween. Don't send me emails. I don't care. Um, I, 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 um, if there's something, <laughs> it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? it, it uh, 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 if there's, something that, if there's something that I think that God probably wants us to do, it's probably to be more like Jesus, right? That's discipleship. I mean, why did Jesus come in the first place? Why did Jesus show up on the, on the earth? All he had to do was come down, die, and go back to heaven again to pay for our sins. Why was he here for 33 years? Why did all that go on? Because Jesus wanted to show us how to live, okay? 269 times in the, in the Bible, it uses the word disciple, Three times it uses the word Christian. Okay? Are you good at math? Which one of those things do you think we're supposed to be? Okay, let's try it again. <laughs> 269 times it says we're supposed to be disciples, and three times it says we're supposed to be Christians. What should we be? <clears throat> good, good. You're with me, okay? <clears throat> What's the difference? Well, a Christian is somebody, I mean, we call ourselves Parkview Christian Church. I mean, that's okay, right? A Christian is somebody that, that, uh, that calls himself a Christian. A disciple is somebody who actually tries to look and act and be like the person that they're discipling from. Romans 8 says, For from the very beginning God decided that those who came to him, and he knew who would, should be like his son. I'm supposed to look like Jesus, maybe not in costume, but I'm supposed to look like Jesus, okay? I'm not going to be a God, I'm supposed to be like Jesus, okay? Don't get that confused. One guy, pastor was teaching a Sunday school class to his uh, Sunday school, um, he was teaching a class, and, uh, and they were doing Moses in the burning bush, and so he decided, you know, instead of just reading the passage, that he would have a husband and a wife read it together. So he made the husband be God, be the voice of God from the burning bush, and he had the wife do the voice of Moses. And so they're reading kind of back and forth the dialogue. And, and it was all going great until the woman got a little confused and accidentally read God's part. And, and, the, and the pastor said, wait a minute, you're not God. And the husband didn't miss a beat. He said, I've been trying to tell her that for 18 years. Yeah, this is a Mormonism, okay? You're, you're not going to become a God, but you're supposed to become like the Son of God. Ephesians 4 says, God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. Because, you know, babies are cute, but if they stay babies, it's kind of tragic. Am I right or am I right? I mean, if you don't grow up, if, you, if you're just a person that stays the same all the time, that's not what you're supposed to do as a human, and it's not what you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, okay? God wants us to mature and to develop. I love the whole WWJD thing. I love the whole what would Jesus do. But, you know, does it really work if you have to look at your bracelet to think about what Jesus would do? I mean, does it, does it, did it change your driving habits when you put a fish on the back of your car? 
No, I saw you last weekend trying to get out of here. No, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change from the outside. It changes from the inside, right? I'm not supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be a disciple. There's a difference. And every once in a while, you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, you do discipleship in your life. Every once in a while, you're like, oh, you know, Tim challenges to to tithe, and we gave, you know, a tithe one week, and it was unbelievable what God did, and, and it was unbelievable how it felt to trust God with my money. Every once in a while, I was like, uh, you know what, Nick Vucek was coming last weekend, and so I invited my neighbor, and my neighbor came. Or every once in a while, it's your neighbor has a prayer need, or you take somebody a meal, or whatever, and you feel that, you feel that, that, that thing inside of you about being like Jesus. It should become more natural, as time goes on. I was on a plane this week and uh, it was late getting into uh, Chicago and uh, so there were going to be connection problems for people that were going to go on to other places and so the, you know, the, the, the flight attendant comes on and says, hey, there's some people in the back of the plane that only have 45 minutes to make their connection. Could you all just stay where you're at when we land and let those people go on through? Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever seen that happen? Of course not. Everybody's like, whatever. Except I had a T-shirt on that had Jesus' picture on it, front and back. And I got to tell you, that was a weird phenomenon for me, you know, because I'm, I'm really conscious of everything that I'm doing. It's kind of like having a fish in your car. I was kind of like, I, I, you know, I'm wearing Jesus around, and I'm sitting there thinking, all these people are going to go by me, and if I stand up and act like a jerk like everybody else that's in this plane, I'm a bad reflection on Jesus. So I sat in my seat. Well, everybody else got off and nobody probably ever noticed, but it was interesting for me to think about what it should look like in my life if I'm really a follower of Jesus, okay? Now, if you're not wearing the costume or if you're not wearing a t-shirt, nobody's going to know, but they should, okay? So here's the deal with the mirror. <clears throat> you got the mirror, you got a crayon in front of you. If you didn't get one, raise your hand right now. We got ushers that are going to come around and get you one. If you didn't get a little piece of mirror, we're going to do something with it at the end of the service. It's really cool. So just raise your hand and keep it up, and the ushers will bring you one. Here's what I want to do. I want you to write on a mirror uh, a symbol or a letter or whatever. You obviously you got a crayon in front of you and the chair back also. I want you to write on there something that God needs to change in your life so that you look more like Jesus. Not fake beard, not a t-shirt, but like that you will look more like Jesus. What is something that God needs to help you change in your life so that you look more like Jesus? Okay? Why is this important? Why is discipleship important? Without discipleship, <clears throat> we're more, more vulnerable to temptation. That, that's very, very true. It, the closer I get to God, the easier it is for me to resist temptation. It's never going to go away, but the closer I am, the easier it is to resist temptation. Mike Bro talked about going in to buy a pair of khakis, and he was looking at the label, and, uh, and the lady came over to him and said, can I help you with anything? And he said, yeah, can you tell me, what does this mean, wrinkle resistant? What does that mean? And she said, oh, honey, that means it'll still wrinkle, it just doesn't want to. Do you have some wrinkle-resistant pants? That's exactly right, isn't it? Okay. But my question is, how do you get to the point in your life where you are more wrinkle-resistant, where you are more sin-resistant, where you are more wrinkle-proof or more sin-proof? How do you do that? The closer you get to be like Jesus, the more you're like Jesus, the more sin-proof you become. The second reason why discipleship is important is that without it, we're hypocrites. I mean, come on. If the world looks at the people of Jesus, the people of Parkview, the disciples of Jesus, and he sees us 
in exact, doing exactly the same things, struggling with exactly the same things, acting the same way, getting up on the plane and not worrying about the people who aren't going to make their connection. If he sees, if the world sees us like that, then they're just going to go, well, why would I bother? What's, what's the difference? They're hypocrites. The third reason is without discipleship, we're powerless. When we're like Jesus, the more we're like Jesus, the more closer we are to Jesus, the more power, the more of the Holy Spirit we have available to us. So my third purpose in life is to become like Christ. It's to become like Christ. It's discipleship. So finish writing on your mirror. How do you need to be more like Christ? And the ushers are going to come. I'm going to show you this next video, and they're going to collect those and, uh, and, and, and give you the opportunity. We're going to do something with it really, really cool. I'm reading John Ortberg's new book. <clears throat> um, John Ortberg is going to be with us next March. We've invited him to come in. If you've ever read any of his stuff, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, his new book is really good, The Me I Want to Be. Okay, so it's about this whole area of discipleship, the me I want to be. And he talks about the different me's that we are as human beings. There's the me I pretend to be, right? You know what that is. That's the, that's the you know, I, I'm acting like I'm something, but I know I'm really not. There's the me I think I should be. That's all the contestants on American Idol that can't sing that think they can. You know, they're blown away when Simon goes, man, you stink. Oh, are you kidding me? I think I should be a singer. No, you shouldn't. Okay, that's the me I should be. There's the me that other people want me to be. Now, I mean, maybe you're still living under the expectation of your parents or your church or whatever it was. There's the me that I'm afraid God wants me to be. I love that one. What is that? It's like, okay, i got to give up my shoes next week. Then what? You're going to ask me to go to Africa? I mean, what's next? What is God? If I really become a disciple of Jesus, if I really follow Jesus, take up my cross daily and follow him, what's that going to look like? That's scary. There's the me I fail to be, which maybe you're struggling with today. The me I fail to be. The me that, that comes along and, you know what, I, I know I ought to be better, but a hundred times a day I don't live up to what I'm supposed to do. Orberg says, you know what, there's a person inside of you and a person inside of me that is waiting to come alive and be fully alive. Arrhenius, the church father, said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That is so good. That's rich, isn't it? The glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I want to tell you something. Jesus came so that we could have life. Jesus came so that we could be the me I want to be. Jesus came so that we could be the me he wants us to be. Ortberg says to love someone is to desire and to work towards their becoming the best version of themselves. Let me say that again. To love someone is to desire and work towards their becoming the best version of themselves. Parents, you understand this. You spent all of your life as a parent trying to help your children become the me that they want to be and the me that you know they can be, the best version of them. I like that. The best version of themselves. I want my three daughters to be the best version of themselves. God looks down from heaven and he doesn't want us to be the me I fail to be or the me I think I ought to be or the, the me somebody else thinks I ought to be. He wants us to be the me that he created us to be. To me, that I really want to be. He wants us to do that. Comedian Jerry Clower told about a woman in the hills of East Kentucky who had 16 children. One of her, uh, one of her boys fell into a 55-gallon drum of roofing tar. She said she pulled him out and said, Boy, it would be easier to have another one than to clean you up and throw him back in again. That is not how God feels about you, my friends. God does not pull you up out of the muck that you've been living in and go, you know what, I give up on you. I'm going to go start another one. He wants you to be the best version of yourself. And I want you to be the best version of yourself. 
As, as, as your pastor, or even if you're visiting, your pastor has this same thing. Colossians 1, Paul told us what we as pastors ought to have as a goal. It is this. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I want to present you perfect in Christ. You're not going to be perfect. He's going to have to wash you. He's going to have to clean you. But but, but what I want as a pastor is for Parkview Christian Church and the people who call themselves disciples of Jesus to be at that point when Jesus comes back or when they die, that they're the better me that God designed them to be, that they are more perfect in Christ. That's supposed to be my goal. My goal cannot be just to leave you hanging out where you are. It's not to leave you in your tar, okay? So I tried to think this week, what are some of the ways, I'm just going to make this about me, and these are, this is random, okay? But, but I started to think, what, is this, what are some of the ways that I've grown as a Christian? And I wish I could tell you that I'm like a, a perfect in Christ disciple, but I'm way, way, way far away from ever being that, okay? But I have grown in my Christian life. In the 49 years I've been on this planet, I've grown. And there are three things that have helped me grow more than anything else, and I'm just going to give them to you today. The first one would be one you'd guess. It's the Word of God. God uses truth to feed our souls. When I feed on the Word of God, it transforms me. Job says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. You understand that garbage in, garbage out, right? You understand that what you put in, into your body, into your mind, into whatever, uh, I like this, this daily bread analogy because it's about nutrition. You understand that, right? I love candy. This is my favorite day of the year because there's candy everywhere. I, I'm a candy junkie, okay? They didn't make a candy that I didn't like. And that was a real problem for me back in the mid-90s when our church had outgrown its location over in Tinley Park and, uh, and we needed more classroom space for our kids, so we moved the offices out. And the cheapest office space we could find was on the backside of an, of an office complex, which was right next to a candy store. I don't mean like 7-Eleven. I mean all they sold was candy, Greco's Candy Store, okay? So, so the problem was also back in the 90s, if you remember back in that time, if you cared about nutrition or your health at all, all the talk was about fat and fat grams. Remember when we were going through that phase? Nobody understood about protein or carbs or, you know, any of that other stuff. It was, all, it was all about fat. That's when they started putting fat labels on everything, you know, how much fat is in it. So we're all like, oh, I just have to worry about fat. If I don't take in too much fat, I won't be fat. That'll all work out great. So you know what I did? I eat gummy bears every day. They're fat-free. Did you know gummy bears are fat-free? Do you know why that is? Because they're all sugar. And sugar is fat-free. Is sugar good for you? No, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't lose any weight, and I was feeling sluggish every afternoon. Because I was filling up my gas tank with Kool-Aid, okay? And I finally realized it, and, you know, I mean, we've all started kind of figuring out that health is not about just about fat grams. It's about a whole lot of other things. And we need to figure out in our spiritual life that the, the things that we put into our body are fuel. I mean, we've understood, you understand now, right? It's great if you enjoy food, but food is fuel. If you figure that out, it'll really help you nutritionally. It's fuel, okay? That pancake I just had back there was not good. It was not good fuel, okay? But I ate it anyway because it was awesome, okay? But, and, and, that, and it's okay. Every once in a while, you got you know, you to eat something that you like. But if you're not eating good nutrition, you're going to mess yourself up. The same thing is true in your mind. I got a testimony from a guy who was filling up his mind. He was a news junkie, okay? I mean, is there anything wrong with watching the news? No? There's nothing wrong with watching television, but he was a junkie. 
And he said, Tim, the Purpose Driven Life sermons in our study group have changed a 40-year TV, radio, news, talk show addiction for me. Instead now of turning on the media automatically wherever I'm at, I now give some time to prayer and Bible study to talk to God and to read his letter to me. Now, until now, I couldn't understand what the relationship with God meant on a practical, tangible level. But now, through the Purpose Driven Life stuff, I'm taking time every day to not just say hi and bye to God, but to spend some time with God as, as if He is my Father. As the father of three, I realize now that God loves me and cares for me like I do for my children. I'm now giving the best of my time and, and turning off the noise and the distractions, which, by the way, I've been doing too. Ever since I said a couple of weeks ago, the idea about turning off the radio in the car and praying a little bit every time you get in, it's awesome. You've got to try it. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how much easier it is to just spend a few minutes every time I get in the car, which is multiple times a day, just to pray. He did the same thing, except I love what he did. Listen to this. He said, when I want to listen or watch the news, I set an alarm and tune it up for five or seven minutes so that I can watch just the headlines at the top of the hour and then I turn it off. And now I'm limiting my TV shows and other things accordingly and I want you to know that it's changed my life. Why? Because he stopped putting so much Kool-Aid in and he started putting in the fuel that he really needed to burn on. And you need to do the same thing. The Word of God. The problem is, when I talk about the Word of God, a lot of times you're like, oh yeah, it's like Brussels sprouts, right? You're talking about nutrition. I, just, I mean, I hate Brussels sprouts. There are vegetables I like, but Brussels sprouts are gross. I don't like Brussels sprouts. And some of you are like, oh, the Bible, Word of God, whatever. I've, I've got to choke some down. No, it shouldn't be like that. It, it should be, I mean, there's, there are healthy foods that are good for you. How many of you are excited that Chick-fil-A has opened up in Orland Park? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That woman is really excited about Chick-fil-A. Thank you. Well, you're not as excited as some people because did you hear this week that what they did at Chick-fil-A is they had a contest and the first hundred people that lined up got a free chicken dinner for the whole year, every week for a whole year, the first hundred people. So what they had to do is they had to get in line a full 24 hours ahead of time that opened up at 6 o'clock in the morning. So 6 o'clock the morning before, people were lined up and they spent the night in tents. This was Thursday night when it's like 40 degrees outside and the wind was blowing 50 miles an hour. And they spent the night on the property of Chick-fil-A so that they could get a free chicken dinner. Why? Because they love the chicken. Okay, there's something crazy about the chicken. And... One of those people was your idiot executive pastor, Bill Brown. <clears throat> I am not kidding. <clears throat> him and his son spent the night in a tent. I guess I don't pay him enough. I don't know. They had to get free chicken dinners. <clears throat> I docked his pay for that day, but he spent a whole day out there waiting, and, and he was number 26 in line, and if you're hungry for lunch, just find Bill around here wherever he is and say, hey, Bill, can I have a chicken dinner, okay? He also, while he was there, Interviewed some people just for fun, you know, just to kind of find out what what is this deal with Chick-fil-A, and here's one of his interviews. All right, man, so obviously uh, you got a big commitment to Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. What, what, what makes you come out and spend uh, 24 hours on an asphalt parking lot? Uh, the famous chicken sandwiches. That's it? Yeah, that's it. It's all about the chicken. It's all about the chicken. Nothing it's all else? Chicken. Nothing else. It's worth uh, putting up with gale force winds, 60 miles an hour. My tent blowing down the road. It's yeah. all worth it as long as you have that chicken sandwich. Yeah, it sounds like you do anything for that chicken sandwich. Oh, man. I, I walk around here constantly, I, you know, do laps around here. 
Yeah. Trained for the Chick-fil-A marathon. Would you kill somebody for that chicken sandwich? Uh, that, that's a little much, no. If they but were trying to take your chicken sandwich, would you think about it? Ah, uh, you never know. Yeah, yeah, you look, know. Hey. I think you could do it. Yeah. All right, I, would yeah, not, I wouldn't mess with my chicken sandwich. I, I'm not even going to think about <laughs> it. The guy that was number one in line had stayed there for three days. I know, I know, I know. And just so you know, if you're like, oh, dude, I wish I would have known, there's one opening up in Wheaton pretty soon. You can go spend the night in Wheaton if you want to, okay? We're, gonna, we're passing the baskets to try to get the rest of the mirrors uh, collected. If they haven't passed that already, we're going to get the rest of the mirrors right now, and, uh, and, and I, 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 we're going to do something with it at the end of the deal. Here's the, here's the problem with Chick-fil-A. Not the problem. I love Chick-fil-A. Good Christian company. I'm glad they're here. Uh, as a matter of fact, Bill got to do a, a dedication for the, for the thing. I was out of town. Bill got to do a dedication, pray for the employees. That's really cool. Why is it that people are so excited about Chick-fil-A? I don't know. I don't know what, you know, they inject the chicken with something. I don't know what it is that people love so much about it. It's really, really good. And the great thing about it is the chicken is really good for you, okay? Why is it that people aren't spending the night in the 50-mile-an-hour wind in a tent in a parking lot for the Word of God? I mean, if the Word of God is really what it says it is, if the Word of God really does give us the nutrition, really does help us grow like we say that it does, like God says that it does, we ought to be as excited about the Word of God as we are about Chick-fil-A. John Ortberg puts it like this, though, before you get all guilt-trippy on me. He said, listen, one of the greatest gifts God has given the human race is Scripture, yet we often turn it into a burden. People ask me, how many minutes a day am I supposed to read the Bible? What's the minimum I can read and not have God mad at me? That's the wrong question. God's not going to be mad at you for not reading the Bible. He's not going to love you more because he, you did read the Bible. The question is, how can you feed your soul? How can you feed your mind with something so that it can flourish? Colossians 2 says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him and then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow in thankfulness. The, the job of the tree is not to try to produce fruit. The job of the tree is to send down roots. And when the tree sends down roots, fruit will automatically come. Your job as a believer is not to try to make fruit. Your job as a believer is to be rooted in God. And then the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things, that will happen naturally. Psalm 1 said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. Listen to this. This is the relation to the Word of God. If you're a tree planted by the streams of water, it will yield its fruit in season, its leaf will not wither, and whatever he does prospers. That's a pretty big promise. So how can you be more like Jesus without wearing the fake beard? You can read about Jesus. You can learn about Jesus. You be around Jesus. Are you like your parents? Any of you? Fine. You, can, you can elbow your spouse if you want to. Are you like them? Are you like your parents? You find yourself saying things that you said that you would never say, that your parents said, and then you get mad at your kids and the same thing comes out of your mouth. Why is that? It's because we were surrounded by our parents. We were, we were involved in our parents. We didn't have any choice but to be in a house with our parents. You have a choice. You can be with Jesus. And the more that you are with Jesus, the more you read about Jesus, the more you are in his word, the closer you're going to be to him and the more you're going to be like him. The second thing that God has used to help me to grow as a Christian is that God uses people to guard our souls. God's used other people. Our world is so jacked up. Somebody sent me this. This is a new Snuggie for using your laptop. 
Is that not just a perfect picture of our world today? You know, how can I watch porn on the airplane? Oh, there I go. I got it. I mean, that, that is unbelievable to me. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to see it's got a little place for the hands and everything. I mean, this is great. I'm going to live in my own little world. I'm going to be my own person. Well, you know what? You were not created that way. And I know some of you are going, oh, PT, are you going to talk about small groups again? You know, I thought really long and hard. I really, really tried to like, how can I talk about discipleship without talking about accountability? But I can't. I can't do it. Because the, one of the most important ways that I'm growing as a Christian and that I have grown is by having other people around me. Because we're created that way. The truth is if God stuck me with a word of God and all the commentary so I could understand everything about it on a desert island, or he stuck me on Gilligan's Island with Skipper and Marianne and Ginger and the professor and the word of God, I would grow more on Gilligan's Island than I would grow by myself. Why? Because... Gilligan would drive me nuts, and that would help me grow, and then there's going to be people around me that are going to hold me accountable, and there are going to be people in my life, good or bad, there would be people in my life that would be praying for me and that would know what's going on. Do you have people in your life that are praying for you? Do you have people that know what's really going on in your life? I told you, I've got, I've got these, I was with my stinkling friends this, this past week, three other pastors from uh, other churches uh, around the country, and we've bonded together to be uh, this group that holds each other accountable, that prays for each other. And uh, on top of my two brother-in-laws and obviously my wife and my family, these guys know more about me than anything else. They know more about me than you will ever know about me. Okay? Why? Because I trust them, because they can pray for me. There are guys in our group that, that are, need to be working on some things in our life, and we ho- we're holding uh, each other accountable to that. And, and, and because of this group, I'm growing. I grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I got a small group of neighbors and friends. They don't know me as intimately as this group does, but they know what's going on in our life, and they're praying for me, and I'm praying for them. And we work together. I got a men's group. I'm a group junkie. You know why? I didn't come up with a small group idea. Jesus did. You get that, right? It's not like somebody came along 2,000 years later and goes, hey, let's have a small group. Jesus started small groups. Jesus had 12 guys. One of them didn't turn out so good, so if you got a loser in your small group, it's okay. So did Jesus. Just, you know, just call him Judas and just move right on with it, okay? But Jesus started the first small group, and he spent three years changing the world by changing, by investing his life in 12 people. That's how it's supposed to be. The church is supposed to get larger and smaller at the same time. Ecclesiastes 4 says, You are better off to have a friend than to be all alone. If you fall, your friend can help you up. Okay? That's the truth. We also have a a class here that we call Renovation of the Heart that we do with a small group of people on a retreat. And that would be another way that I think people could help you and you could think about how God can use you along the way, how you can be more of a disciple. Then the third thing... Again, it's random. This is just this is the, as I look at my life and, and when I've grown and how I've grown, it's been through the Word of God. It's been through other people. I mean, I talked about prayer a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I need to get back to that. Obviously, it's prayer. But the third one is that God uses trouble to teach us to trust Him. This is a time life picture of the year from a couple of years ago. Notice the uh, the fish inside the other fish <laughs> and he doesn't have a good expression on his face does he Uh oh <laughs> I, I show you this because I 
I know that some of you walked in here today and you're like, discipleship, schmipleship, I don't care about that. My world is falling apart. You don't understand, I just got diagnosed. You don't understand, my, you know, somebody just filed. You don't understand, I don't have a job. You don't understand what's going on in my life right now. I don't want to talk about discipleship. Well, hang on a second. I don't believe God caused whatever's going on in your life. I believe that sin is in this world because of, of, of us, because we let sin into the world and the devil's here and, and the problems in the world. I don't know if, if you caused it, somebody else caused it, the devil caused it, it doesn't matter. Here's what I know. It's a really important verse that has to do with becoming a disciple. And it's Romans 8.28, which says that in all things, God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In all things, in all things, God works together for good. The good things and the bad things. I know you don't want to hear this today, but the truth of the matter is, is I'm thinking back in my life, and I know if you're going through it right now, you don't want to hear this, but if you will look back in your life, the times when you have grown as a disciple of Jesus, probably more than anything else, are times when you had junk going on in your life. Times when things were hard, okay? James, brother of Jesus, said it this way, Consider it pure joy, <laughs> my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy, because you know, listen to the progression, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, if you're going to back that out, if our goal is to be like Jesus, to be perfect in Christ, to be more like Christ, to be mature and complete, then how does that happen? That, help, that happens when we develop perseverance. How do we develop perseverance? Through the testing of our faith. What is the testing of our faith? How does the testing of our faith happen? When we face many trials. And, and, and we should understand that every problem has a purpose. We should understand that every problem has a purpose. Jesus is my example on this. Again, if I'm going to wear a T-shirt that has Jesus on it, if, I, if I'm going to be like Christ, if I'm going to dress up like him for Halloween, I'm going to look to Jesus. How did Jesus handle problems? Mark 14, they came to the garden called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Okay, and just again, there's a small group. The worst, the worst night anybody ever had in their life. If you haven't seen the Passion movie, you ought to go back. And, and, I mean, don't even worry about the bloody parts if you don't want to look at that again. Look at the night Jesus had. They did a great job of portraying the temptation and the anguish that Jesus was going through. The worst night of anybody's life ever in human history. As he's thinking about taking all of your sins and all of my sins and going and dying on the cross and being separated from his Father. He's in anguish. Verse 34, he says, the worry in my heart is so great that it almost crushes me. Maybe this is how you walked in here today. I'm almost crushed. This economy, this relationship, this whatever, it's crushing me. And then Jesus said, Father, this can be your prayer because you're supposed to be a disciple. I know that everything is possible for you. Please get me out of this. Jesus asked, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will and not mine. What is that? That's what Rick Warren says. You can take your problems and your trials and, and they can make you bitter or they can make you better. You've got to decide which way you're going to do. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to become better? Are you going to trust in God? Or are you going to become bitter? James says consider it joy. 
Not many of us are going to go, oh, happy day when a problem comes, right? You're not going to go, yes, I lost my job, hallelujah, you know, my wife left me, this is awesome. I understand that. I understand that. But if that is a trial that produces perseverance in you and helps you to grow, then maybe we should understand that in all things God works together for good for those who love him. The real test of your faith is how do you hang out with God when you don't feel good? I don't know if you got the full story of the miners that were buried in, in Chile. Um, 69 days. I, I know you know the, the story. I mean, you get, many of you probably like me were riveted to the TV watching one miner come out after another and just seeing what was going on. Here's a picture that made the front page of a lot of papers right here. Uh, Mario Sepulveda. Um, did you notice a lot of them had shirts on? They all had matching t-shirts on. And if you look at the sleeve of Mario right there, you can see it kind of says Jesus. Here's the next shot. Go ahead and go to the next one. It says the Jesus Film Project. Probably like, what was that all about? Well, let me tell you what it's all about. When these miners were trapped for 69 days under the earth, there was one little chute, one little hole that they could take stuff back and forth. They'd send food down. They would bring notes back up. I mean, they had a hole where they got air and all those things were going on, okay? And one of the things that they sent down, Campus Crusade for Christ, who made the Jesus film, uh, which millions of people have given their life to Jesus after watching the Jesus film, they sent an MP3 player with the audio version of the Jesus film and the audio version of the Bible on an MP3 player down the chute so that the people who were down underneath could listen to the Word of God and they could listen to the Jesus movie. So when these miners came out, there were stories, there were all kinds of stories. Actually, there were stories that came out while they were down there. You never heard about them on the news, because the news isn't going to tell you this. But they were sending out messages like, thank you for the blessing of the Word of God, and it is all well because Christ lives in me, and we're having prayer services at 12 and 6 every day. These are, these are the messages that the miners who are trapped under the earth that never know if they're going to see their family ever again, this is what they're sending out. One of them said, I ask you all to pray, not only for us here, but all of the lost people of the world. And here's, uh, one of the, here's the oldest guy when he came out. Mario Gomez, as he came out, he's praying. His first thing he did, I mean, I, I love it when a football player, you know, scores a touchdown and, and gets down on her knees and gives glory to God. I mean, that, that's all, I, I, I like that. I, whether it's sincere or not, I, I think it probably is. I love that. But when a miner's been trapped under the face of the earth for 69 days and he comes up and the first thing he does is hit his knees, it makes me to understand that sometimes those trials we go through help us to grow in our faith. And you're probably wondering what was on the T-shirt. On the T-shirt is the Chilean national flag and the words, thank you, Lord, in English and Spanish. As soon as the miners came out, they were all given these t-shirts, and I mean, the ones that wanted to wear them put them on instantly and gave thanks to God for their rescue. But this is what was really important. There was one scripture that one of the miners found while he was down there that he sent back up to the surface that he said he was praying, and it was one that meant more to him than anything else, and it was Psalms 95 that said, In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The depths of the earth and the mountain peaks. Can you imagine being in the depths of the earth and not knowing whether you're going to come out and see the light of day ever again and being able to say, you know what? I know that God has the depths of the earth in his hands. And I know that if I get out of here and I get to be on a mountaintop sometime else in my life, I know that God has me in his hands. No matter what God wants for me, I'm going to trust him. 
And that's what we have the opportunity to do as we learn to be like Jesus. As you're going through these problems, as these things are happening in your life, that's what we have the opportunity to do. We're supposed to be like Jesus, and sometimes, honestly, and I wish I didn't have to say it, but sometimes the problems that we go through make us more like Jesus. So my three things, if I gave you three, be the Word of God, it'd be other people, and it would be the problems that I've gone through looking back. I don't pray for more problems. I never ask God, you know, bring me more problems. But when they come, I know that in all things, God works together for good. And then my job as a believer, as a disciple, is to find some people that are going to help me and to be in his word and to be in prayer and to be training. To be a disciple means to have discipline. I'm going to be training myself to look more like Jesus. Not to put on a fake beard, but to become more like Jesus in my everyday life. If you go to the Alamo, near the main entrance is a portrait with the following inscription. If you remember Alamo history, James Bonham was one of the, one of the guys there at the end. And the inscription says, James Butler Bonham slash, no picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family so that you may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. I like that. Because the truth is, there's no literal picture of Jesus. We don't know if he had a scraggly beard and that hair. We don't know what he wore. We don't know what Jesus looked like. I think that's for a reason. The reason is, no picture of him exists. But this is a picture of his disciples. And they're going to show you what he looks like. And I know some of you are, are, are thinking right now, oh, yeah, you don't understand. Jesus doesn't want me to be his disciple. You don't understand where I've been. You don't understand what I've done. He, didn't want, he couldn't possibly want me. Let, let me. let me help you to understand something. Jesus' first disciples, that small group that he started with, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were, they were crazy terrorist people. They were really a crazy band of people that Jesus called to be his disciples. And the interesting thing about it, Rob Bell writes about it in one of his books, the interesting thing about it is that usually rabbis back in that day, and, and you've got to think about Jesus in a Jewish context, he's the teacher, he's the rabbi. Usually people ask to be the disciple of a rabbi. Usually they, asked, they would ask the rabbi, hey, can I follow you? And the rabbi would pick the best that he wanted. He would only pick the, you know, the, the guys with a certain ACT score and the, the ones who had the right you know, gift mix and maybe the ones that are right from the right family because he wanted a small group of people that would follow him that would make him look good, that he could pass on the things to them. These disciples, the fishermen, James, John, Peter, all these people who were hanging around, the fact that they were back to fishing, the fact that they were doing just the do job that their dad had taught them to do meant that no rabbi ever asked them to follow him before. And it meant that they had maybe asked other rabbis to, to follow them, but they said no. These, these were the people that didn't have a rabbi to follow. So when Jesus the rabbi comes by, Jesus doesn't wait for them to ask him. Jesus asked them. And he said, follow me. Many times in the Bible he said, follow me. That's why when they heard that, when they heard the rabbi say, hey, follow me, they went, cool, and they dropped their nets and they went immediately. Because no other rabbi wanted them. 
And who did Jesus tell to follow him along the course of his ministry? Tax collectors, prostitutes, woman caught in adultery, the demon-possessed, the sick, the lame. Those are the people that Jesus asked to follow him. He didn't ask the, the 36 ACT people. He didn't ask the, he'd ask the smartest people. He didn't ask the, the religious leaders of the Pharisees. He wanted the common people to follow him. He wanted everybody to follow him. And I think that's why he picked this group of disciples. So that you and I could go, well, you know what? If that guy could follow, if Peter could follow him, if James and John could follow him, if Thomas could follow him, if he asked Judas to follow him, then, then I guess he probably could have me too. As we do communion right now, we're going to give you an opportunity to say, yes, I want to follow you. And uh, I just hope that you'll understand that he chose you. He wants you to follow him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for allowing me to be your servant. And um, I, I thank you for allowing me to follow you for a long, long time. And I pray that you'll help me to be able to shine your light even better as I grow and as I mature as a disciple of yours. I thank you for the journey I've been on. I can thank you, Lord, for your word. I can thank you for the people in my life. And I can thank you for the tough times that I've been through and the times when I've gone through trial and challenge because I know that those have brought me. You've used them for good and you've brought me closer to you. And I pray that you'll help me to be even more like you. And I thank you that you didn't choose the guy with the high ACT score or the guy with, the, with all the right credentials or all the right things, gift mix. You just let me come and follow you. And the same thing is true for everybody in this room. So if there's somebody in this room right now who would like to follow you and they've never ever done it, I pray that you'll help them to open up their heart right now and say, Jesus, I accept your invitation. Lord, I know you're calling out, follow me, and I just pray that they're saying, okay, Jesus, I accept your invitation. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. Lord, I, I, I pray that you'll help us to be so close to you, to, to look like you, to be like you. And I ask these things in your name. Amen.